it was a good opportunity for me to shift things. And obviously, this is like all my family members are fine. I have been fine and healthy. But yeah, it was I, I, I just got a break from my travel schedule that used to be really hectic. And I got so much time to just like sort screws and actually have time to hone in on a lot of build skills and not feel like I just have to rush through everything. And I moved to LA. I bought a house. You were in the Bay Area before, right? Yeah, I was in San Francisco. So it's it's actually like the circumstances haven't been great, but I feel like I've I managed to squeeze all the upsides out of him. I'm in New York and I have a lot of friends who have moved to California, but specifically Los Angeles. Even prior to the pandemic, but definitely during the pandemic, it, just seems, it seems like a much nicer place to ride out this I just, it just feels overall like it's been musical chairs of cities with like everyone's just moving around. But yeah, San Francisco just, I mean, is, is great, but it didn't seem like a, I just got to the point where I'm like, I'm just between my house and my workshop anyway. Why am I living in one of the most expensive cities in the world where I have the opportunity to work kind of anywhere? So you moved to one of the other most expensive cities in yeah. the world where you commute from your home to, to so work and it takes an extra hour. <laughs> Except that my workshop is in my backyard. So it's a, it's about a 20 second commute. But I mean, the upside of it is that there's a lot more work for me. I mean, I was, I was here a lot anyway, since I'm kind of in some entertainment adjacent industry. So yeah, it definitely made more sense to be here than in San Francisco for me, as much as LA is still very expensive. What are these entertainment adjacent jobs that you're taking? Oh, I just realized it sounds like I have an OnlyFans. You know, if, if no, you do, you know, n- nothing wrong with that. I, I, I'm just trying to find a, I do not. You didn't move to the San Fernando Valley, which. I did not. No, no. I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to skirt around having to uh, refer to myself as an influencer. <laughs> not so much. I have actually like working with studios. No, 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 no. But it's like a lot of a lot of the campaigns that I'm shooting are here. There's a lot of more people who are in my industry. Like, it's just been really fun to be. Because like in San Francisco, there's like no YouTubers. Yeah, they can't afford it. There's like two YouTubers. Yeah. And here it's, it's, it's been really fun to kind of meet people who are in a similar boat to me. I'm curious just generally, you know, obviously we'll talk about your shifting role, but whether proximity matters. I mean, it seems like you kind of get to live wherever you choose doing what you have been doing for a living. I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth between like, oh, I should just live on a ranch. And I don't know, start a farm animal sanctuary or something. Just get dozens of three-legged dogs running around. Yeah, and a little goat. And but no, I do. I definitely think. But then I was like, okay, but this is the time I can do. I can do a ranch at any stage in my life, and this is kind of a point where I can. I can focus more on work and try to be in an environment that has a lot of upsides to it. But no, I definitely feel like I'm. And that's some of the things that's been, or one of the things that's been tough during the pandemic is where you're like feeding off of other people's excitement and energy and just not having that input. Uh, I don't know if you've had the same experience. I would travel all the time for this job and I've just, I've been completely grounded. I feel like I've adapted pretty well to doing this over Zoom, but obviously, I mean, especially when you're doing really collaborative work of the kind you do, it it actually is important to be there in person with people. Yeah, it's 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 been fun and it's like being able to buy a house has been great as somebody who builds things 
like not having to explain myself, but the house has kind of become like my canvas <laughs> to sound really lofty. I have a friend who did something similar to moved into an old place in Massachusetts and she's a maker herself. It's nice because, you know, that also means that I think you have the ability to fix the place up too, which not everybody has. Mm-hmm. What are these projects, if you can talk about them? No, I mean, it's just all, it's, it's all furniture making and stuff I've been working on for YouTube. I mean, building a dining table that I can work on jigsaw puzzles on, making a new chandelier. It's just like, I feel like so much of my YouTube process recently has just been like finding a corner of the house where I'm like, ooh, I want to make something for this. And then I think of, of, of a fun project and then I can spend three weeks on it as long as I film it. Yeah, so it's less about altering the house itself and it's more about not having to explain to the landlord why you're using power tools in your apartment. That too, but also altering the house. I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to build out and I want to add a, a slide and there's just... It's, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm skipping through a field of, of, of build possibilities. Will it be a creatively positioned slide? I want to build a roof deck and I want there to be a slide down to uh, the courtyard outside of the workshop. But we'll, we'll see if I get to it. But it's just stuff like that. And you can't, I, I, I would never be able to do that in my place in San Francisco. Yeah, just the zoning ordinances alone of actually building a slide. Like a <laughs> I don't even know what the permitting process is. They're like, you need to have a age limit, an age limit on the slide. <laughs> you can't be above a certain height to, to yeah, run the totally. slide. I, one of the things I was watching the video that you made specifically about the store, and one of the things that struck me was this idea of um, trying to figure out where you want to be at 55. Mm-hmm. It sounds like this is a part of that process. I just think it's really interesting with the creator economy and with youtubers or content creators in general it's like there's the industry is so young that we are just now starting to see people grow old in it and people like what's the like end of life of a youtube career like what do you do what do you turn it into there's not a graceful way to stop not that i'm planning on quitting youtube anytime soon but it's definitely been a like how do i feel how do i keep on evolving in this and how do i find other things to add on to this you know it's just definitely been a part of where i'm like i'm 31 now i don't when I started, I was in a really different place. And it's like, how can I keep on? Uh, how can I keep this job changing with me? How do you feel like you've evolved personally since you started? I mean, it's just I mean, for one, it's just growing up. I mean, going through health problems really did a lot. I yeah, I think I was just a lot. You know, you get to a point where you're you're kind of I think I was a lot more okay with constantly being the butt of my own joke. And I still am like, I still will make fun of myself, but it's definitely come to a point where I'm like, I don't want things flying in my face constantly. I don't want to pretend like I'm more stupid than I am. Uh, and, and kind of do, I feel a lot less like a shtick. You were the queen of the shitty robots. And yeah. <laughs> now it's time to like become the queen of other things. Yeah. I'm happy to not be royalty. I'm, I'm happy to just be a woman who does things. Sure. The senator of slides. The senator's like, exactly. Good alliteration. Uh, no, but it's definitely been like, how do you, like, when you don't feel like being the queen of shitty robots anymore, what do you do? 
And what do you do? And sometimes it's like, I don't, I don't want to have to feel like I, I, I never want to feel like I had to play a role and be like, okay, I'm going to put on this role of doing it, of, of, of like being silly for the camera. And then it's like, okay, but I want to make thoughtful things. And I want to actually challenge my own skill set. I want to make products that people can use. So there's a lot of like, and, and also it's like, I think one of the things that's shifted is I used to see YouTube as an end goal. The end goal was to grow it and make it as big as possible. And now it's like, I don't see it as an end goal anymore. I see it as a tool. And like, what can I use this tool to accomplish? Like, I have an amazing opportunity. I have a lot of having a platform takes a lot of risk out of things. Like, I could never take the risk of starting a product company if it wasn't for knowing that I can get a certain amount of people interested in it. I also have money to invest from the content making business into it. So it's like really just seeing like, okay, I am in this position. This is something that I can use to do whatever I want. And then it's like, what is that that I want? And and starting a product business has really been something I've been thinking about for a long time. And um, I, I'm just stoked. I mean, I'm just going to turn my YouTube channel into an R&D department. So I'll still be just making things in the same way. But then some of the stuff that I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of great. And I could see other people being interested in this. Those I can pass over to the product team. And then once we finish manufacturing it and have products to sell, I can pass it over to the YouTube channel. So it's kind of been hypothetically two businesses that can seamlessly dovetail into one another and support one another. I'm most interested in this idea of people sort of like playing a role or a character. We interacted a little bit at, at the event that we did, uh, I think 2018, 2019. Yeah. You seem to be more or less the same person or a similar person to what you are on camera. And just a watered down version of it, I feel like. It's like real, real life is watered down. Or- yeah. Or, or me, it's like when you're on YouTube, it's it's like it's edited out all the boring stuff. And, and yeah, it's like the, the highlight reel of it. But no, I mean, I, I really try and it's like in queen of shitty robots and like being silly for the camera it just started feeling disingenuous and i was like i'm not proud of this what what should i do and it's been really interesting to try to find ways to like shift it as i as i shift and be like does this feel right you know i know that for a lot of people myself included the pandemic has really been an opportunity to you know take stock and and reassess a lot of things Mm -hmm. in your life but i suspect that you in the most unfortunate way possible, kind of went through that prior to the pandemic. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. It felt so similar. The pandemic, like finding out that I had a brain tumor, it was it was the sense of like getting having to take a backseat in your own life because you're like, okay, these are circumstances that are completely out of my control. I'm just going to have to roll the punches and try to make the best out of the situation. And I was so excited about 2020 because I was like finally healthy. And I was like, this is going to be my year. This is going to be the time when I don't have to compromise with my health. And then the pandemic happened and it really felt similar I was like okay we're just gonna have to like try to make the best out of the situation too and have have to work within these really strict limitations so yeah but I, I think like really one of the the benefits to having a lot of things taken away from you 
is that you can take stock of what actually mattered and like what you actually want to fight for getting back. And, and like, for me, it's, it was such an opportunity to slow down my schedule and have a lot of time building things and actually be able to spend a lot of time perfecting projects. And I think that has directly led to this product business because it's like, otherwise I was just rushing through everything and kind of trying to do it as quickly as possible for camera. And now I'm like, no, I'm going to do it well because these are things I actually want to use. These are things that I want to turn into products. So yeah, it's interesting how it has affected a lot of people's work and creative processes on kind of a macro and micro level. One of the things I, I didn't get a chance to say to you that I wanted to, I had some health struggles at the beginning of the pandemic, nothing of the magnitude of what you were dealing with, but I appreciated the both the difficulty and the way that you were very public about it. You know, I mean, it is something that you could have just sort of dealt with and not talked about in a public forum. Yeah, I'm sorry that you've had some health problems. It's never fun. Yeah, you know, it really wasn't much of a debate for me because it was, I feel like people deal with health problems in such different ways, like the, the way you processes, process it is really different. And some people are just like, I don't want to talk about it. And that's the way that you feel in control of a situation that is really out of your control. And for me, it was the opposite. Like, I wanted to yell it from the top of a mountain. I remember being like, I need to stop telling Lyft drivers that I have a brain tumor. Because people will be like, how are you doing today? I'm like, I have a brain tumor. But other than that, I'm good. Which is a, an amplified version of, I think, what we were talking about at the beginning. When you asked me how I was doing, and I'm like, you have to preface it. But like, when you yeah. say that to somebody, you have completely impacted the conversation. And there's no way of coming back from that. Yeah, there's no, no. You, you just dropped a pile of uncomfortable poop. You're like, oh, how about this pink elephant? Can it come with me in the cab? No, but it was like, for me, it was really like, I just needed to talk about it a lot because it was so overwhelming. And I think I couldn't really gauge if it was a big thing or a small thing, if it was scary or if it was funny, if it was weird or sad or... You couldn't gauge if a brain tumor was a big thing or a small thing? Yeah, but you know, you're, you're like, is this the end of the world? I don't know, because in some moments it felt that, and sometimes it was like, oh, I'll be fine. It's going to be okay. And sometimes you're like, oh my god, I might end up like with half of my face paralyzed. I might end up with brain damage. I might end up, end up blind. You know, so it was a way, like, telling people and seeing their reaction was almost a way to, like, calibrate my own feelings around it, because I was just so deeply confused about it all. Making... YouTube content, it was never like, oh, I want to do this for the greater good or like to be inspiring to people or whatever. It was just like, ah, this thing just happened. Please help me process it. And it was really cathartic. And it was like a small thing that I could be in control of because it was like the situation was so wholly out of my control, but I could be in control of telling the story of it. And it was a way for me to, I don't know, I've never made a video so quickly. Like I remember writing it or kind of bullet pointing it out and filming it in 20 minutes, editing it. And it was like done in like a couple of hours, which never happens because it was just like 
pouring out of me. I mean, it helps that you also didn't have to build something large in the process of doing it. That too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, obviously these in some ways are similar, but two dramatically different examples. When you're dealing with something, you know, whether it's the health issues or whether it's the pandemic, are you somebody who generally throws themselves into your work? Not, not really. Um, I don't think I bury my head in the work sand really. I mean, I do like working and it's, it's hard because it like, is so such an overlap between just things I love doing. Like I love building things and a lot of my well-being comes from building things, but not really. I think I'm, I'm mostly just like very <laughs> ruthlessly like, what are the upsides of this and how can I like tap that as much as possible? And I think that's, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but it's a, it's a, it's a, quality that I have really appreciated in myself and that has like served me really well of just like, okay, this is a shit hand to be dealt, but I'm going to try to make the best out of it. Is this a pandemic project? Is this store? I mean, is it, did it come directly out of sort of, I guess, having a lot of time on your hands? I think, I mean, it was definitely started before that because I mean, the everyday calendar was, was kind of the beginning of it. And even before that I had, had been thinking about it and, um, I mean, even before I started my YouTube channel, I was like, oh my God, I remember seeing some videos about IDEO and how they worked in like developing products and solving consumer problems. And I was just like, I remember running and showing my mom and being like, I finally know what I want to do. And I showed her this video and she was like, well, this is always what you wanted to do. <laughs> I remember her being like, yeah, duh, of course. You've like always wanted to solve problems and make things. And um, I just hadn't really put the two and two together. So it has been a long time coming, but the pandemic definitely like freed up enough time for, for me to do it. And yeah, and, and it was just, no, it, it definitely helped and has, has made it a lot harder in a lot of ways because supply chains are a mess. Um, but in, in like freeing up time and focus, it did help. I always feel like it's kind of a blessing and a curse being able to, to do exactly what you want to do for a living or be, you yeah. know, being able to turn your ostensibly your hobby into this full-time job. No, it is. It does. And like, I love my job. I still do not would prefer not to have to film my builds like it almost anything that you have to film immediately becomes 40% less fun. It's, it's like some take on the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, but with fun. Yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, but other than that, I really can't complain. I, I feel like I've, I'm really happy in the way that I've structured things where I feel like I can sway a lot in my interests and have my job follow along. So it's not like, oh, I'm turning my job into a, or my hobby into a job. And now I have to do that hobby 40 hours a week and there's no escape from it. It's like, if it changes and I want to do something else, I can kind of, I can do that. So it's like, it's really the, the, the work and the video production and the product line. It really just feels like an excuse to get to spend time on this stuff. Based on the conversation you had had with your mom, where you had had this very sort of clear eyed view of what you want to do. Is there yeah. a way in which YouTube has almost been a detour? I think it's been a fast track. 
Because it's like if I would have gone straight to this, I mean, I, I'm thinking like if I would have gone back and like gone to school, I would probably have studied industrial design or mechanical engineering or. But no, I think it's like YouTube just really taught me to follow my enthusiasm. So no, it doesn't doesn't feel like a detour, but it's definitely like. It's not the main dream. It's something that's really fun to do, but it's not the end goal. I appreciate that. And, and I'm guessing that probably early on, it almost felt impossible, or at least it, 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 it felt like there was no sort of clear path to do what you're doing right now. Yeah. No, and I mean, and, and so it's really, yeah. And I, I think, and I think that's something that's so fun about it. And that I think a lot of, it's easy to miss it because you're feeling like, okay, I'm having some success doing this, so I should just keep on doing it. But it's really like, it is a tool to that you can leverage to do kind of anything that you want. And I have a really supportive audience. I mean, they're just like very chill about me <laughs> throwing a lot of curveballs at them. So yeah, then it's just like, okay then what do I want to do? It's remarkable that you've been able to cultivate a largely non-toxic audience as a woman on YouTube. I don't know. I'm like scared to even talk about it because I don't want to jinx it. But it is, it's, it's you know, in the beginning, I was like, I remember talking to my manager and being like, do you have a login to my YouTube channel? Are you like filtering out comments and deleting them? And to, 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 to like spare my mental health, but... No, people are, are generally really sweet and respectful. And yeah, it is. I, I wish that wasn't a weird thing. I feel like sort of the great struggle within you, if I can put it in very yeah. grandiose terms, <laughs> is the battle between the useful and the useless. Yeah. To such a point where like that, this like three minute video that you made for the store, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can't remember what the tagline is. Unique solutions to everyday problems. So which you immediately cut down yeah. with the puzzle. But you know, I don't think useless and useful, I don't think it needs to be a battle. For me, they kind of seamlessly coexist because the useless leads to the useful. And the useless helps bring a playfulness and an openness that lets me think in different ways than I would otherwise. Like if I were to sit down and thinking like, okay, I should I should come up with something great. It's like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm going to choke, you know? So it's like the useless is, is an end goal because I also think they definitely have a purpose on their own and they're entertaining. And I love building those things where you're just like, how would this work out? Like, how would, how, what would this look like? How, how could I solve this very weird brief or the specific problem? I mean, right now I'm building a music instrument on a bubble wrap. And I spent like a week trying to find the most reliable way of popping bubble wrap. And like, yeah, that's not a skill uh, or knowledge that I'm going to apply to anything else. But it's like, it's a mindset and a process that helps me a lot when it comes to product design and to building things that are actually, quote unquote, useful. You've also got this incredible vetting platform in the form of your audience you know yeah. where, where you can sort of gauge that instantaneous reaction yeah and that's like you get early audience testing and that's something i mean i built a dog chair or this chair that has a staircase for my dog and an extra broad seat so she can sit on my lap all the time which is what she wants um 
and I tweeted it and it like blew up. I mean, it was one of my most retweeted things and people were really excited about it. And you're like, okay, this is a problem that other people have. Cause like so far my process is always like, if I find it interesting, there are probably other people who do too. Yeah. And then posting it on the internet becomes like a test of, okay, is it just me or are there other people who have this problem? How often do you build things or at least start projects that just that never make it even to the YouTube phase? Not very often. I think it's, it's, but, but that's also because I, I try to show the failures or the thing, not failures, but the things that don't end up being anything or, um, so no, not, not very often. There are some projects that I've like, I, I just put them off to the side for a while. Like I want to make a porta potty sauna. So like a sauna inside of a porta potty. Because the joke is when it's hot and you're like at a festival and you walk out of the porta potty and you say, "Ugh, worst sauna ever." You want to give people the festival going experience year round. Yeah, no, totally. But it's like there's no, there's not a toilet or anything, but it's like has a, has a sauna in it, and it's like. And I thought I was going to build that this month, but no, I'm just going to put it on the shelf it for a little bit. So if you need a portable sauna system, I have one that I don't need anymore. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the Los Angeles area, yeah. <laughs> So now you've got this entirely new step of deciding what's actually going to, to make it to market. I mean, you know, you spent like, you, 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 you talked about the ring and the, the effectively like the two years that you spent, I think, iterating on it. What is the process between actually having a video and, and putting it on the store? I mean, it's, it's so long and slow and hard. It's sometimes I'm like, why am I trading one of the easiest business models, which is like influencing it's, it's money in from brands and content out for one of the like hardest things it feels like you can do, which is manufacturing and supply chain and product development. I mean, it really depends on the product, but we are working on some things that I've built in past YouTube videos and starting to design them for manufacturing but I mean, the first step is like taking this one prototype and seeing, okay, how could we manufacture something like this? What are some of the compromises we're going to have to make? What are some of the processes that we're interested in and seeing if they would be good build processes for them? So it's kind of trying to keep the aura and the spirit of the YouTube product or project, but seeing how that can live in a manufacturing environment. And then it's going to our manufacturing liaison, getting samples from different factories, doing quality control, adjusting and adjusting, adjusting. So it's 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 a back and forth and a lot of uh, waiting for packages from China and sitting with little calipers and being like, are these within our tolerances or not? What were our specs? The vetting process that we discussed before, I mean, is that is that part of determining what takes something to market? I mean, obviously, like, you want to make things that people want to buy. Yeah, it's a, it's a compromise between because sometimes it's like, no, I just really want this and I think it's dope and I think uh, I think people should you want, want to see this. it in the world and this yeah, is a way for you to have like a world. mass produced version of it. Exactly. Um, but then sometimes it's definitely like, oh, a lot of people are really interested in this. Let's see if there's something here. But there are so many other factors where it's like, what price point could we sell this at? And it's like, would it be because like, I would love to manufacture the puzzle table. 
But if we do that now, I would need to sell it for like $5,000. And I don't want to sell a $5,000 table. So it's like we would need to build our business so much bigger and have the magnitude of order or like the order size is so much bigger to get it within a price range where I feel comfortable asking people to buy it. Talking about sort of the, the, the creativity that goes into the process of manufacturing things, it's extremely funny to me that part of the process of making the puzzle is actually making the entire <laughs> puzzle and then throwing a piece out. They don't throw a piece out. They send it to me. Oh, they send it to you. Sure. Yeah. They, they put it in a separate bag, in a separate parcel, and they send it to me. It's much easier to build an entire puzzle and then ditch that piece versus building a puzzle without a piece no we were looking at it but then we would need a custom like the way that the manufacturer because i was like can't they just stamp out that piece because it's a big sheet and then they have a a die that they stamp everything out on uh but the manufacturer was like no we'll just have somebody (laughs) go in and take it and off to the side i saw somebody comment being like okay but if it turns out that i actually got all 500 pieces will I get a refund then? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. It's like the Willy Wonka golden ticket, but yeah, with the opposite. No, it's, it's fun. It's, I, I just, I mean, we sold out of white incomplete puzzles, which is a sentence I never thought I would say, but yeah, it's a fun ride to be on. When we were on stage, you brought the calendar with you. And I think mm-hmm. we actually did have discussion about your desires to productize in the future and mm-hmm. and and it stemmed from that and what i'm i'm just curious why why the calendar is a thing that really set this in motion i think it's i mean the calendar was just the first one and as painful of a process as it has been as somebody who's terrified of disappointing people it's like selling products might be one of the worst yeah businesses you can be in Um, but I think it was just a good proof to myself that like, we can do this and people are interested in it and supportive and starting to put together a fledging team. And it was really like, okay, then what's next? And it was, I mean, one of the things with the Yetshore is like, we really started with a very small roster of products. I was, I was worried when we were launching it of like, oh, I'm like, banging the drum and I'm so happy with this because of the amount of time and work we put into it. Uh, But it's like, it's really not much, but I feel like people really understood that this is like a starting point and I would much rather publish it now and launch it now than wait another two years or three years to have added a couple of more products. It's like, no, let's do it because so many of my assumptions are going to be wrong and then we can iterate from there. There's also this weird counterintuitive thing that happens in retail, whether it's like you walk into a store in Soho and there's two things for sale or whether it's yeah. sort of the forced scarcity of like a sneaker drop where I think there's almost an appeal to what feels like a very curated number of products. Yeah, I mean, that would be great if that's the case. And there's also like other products that we have and that I was like, no, let's hold it off because I want to make sure that I don't set off all the fireworks yet and i want to make sure even because that's one of the tricky things it's like now we've launched and then it's like okay but how do you keep this it's not a sprint it's a marathon and it's like how do you keep this going how do you keep people interested even in three months and four months and two years you know and it's just making sure that we do have 
ways to keep the momentum going. That must be a, a difficult thing to impress upon people. Obviously, like a lot of YouTube channels have like some sort of like like branded store, things like that. But do you think people understand that to you, this is more than just that? It's, you know, something that you really invested in long term? I don't. Yeah, I, I, I remember really clearly deciding I was like, this is not merchandise. Like it's not it's really important for me that Yatch is freestanding from me and that it's something that's interesting to people that don't know who I am or don't care who I am. So it's like, I really deliberately decided to not integrate any of the merchandise we've been selling because I'm like, no, this is not it, it is for fans, but it's also for people who don't um, who, who are not fans. But and I do think people understand because it's like, yeah, I was also like, oh, I mean, are people just going to be like, okay, but I've seen other YouTubers like launch a jewelry line. Um, but I do think people understand the difference when you're like doing it independently, you're designing everything in house and like the amount of work that goes into it and that it is like, yeah, this is just us trying to figure it out. I don't know. With that in mind and getting back to the idea of yourself at 55, yeah. obviously, you know, projecting what, 20 some odd years into the future is, is difficult, but um, what's the dream? Oh my God, I had so many people be like, you should cut out that line because it's like... Some asshole on a podcast is going to ask you about it. No, 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 not at all. But I was like, oh, I don't want people to think that it's like, oh, when I'm so old that I'm 55 and I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is that this is like my long-term plan. Like this is what I want to do with my life. What I do when I'm 55. Okay, so I'm... Wearing really cool architectural glasses. I run an innovation house. So there's this cool brick building and there's a bunch of engineers and product designers and I'm prototyping in a corner. I have my own section where I'm, that's like Simone's workshop. I'm prototyping and then I'm passing over that prototype to a team of engineers being like, let's see if that's something. And then I have other people bring me samples and I'm like, mm, I don't like that button. And can we change that color to another shade of blue? So th that's what I'm picturing. So what you're saying is you haven't given it much thought. <laughs> no, I have not at all like envisioned what this would be and uh, who I want to be. And, you know, I have not at all thought of uh, what it would be like to just have that effortless authority that comes with age and like a full head of gray hair. But no, I, I just, I'm, I'm dreaming. I want to have a show that I shoot a couple of months a year and then I want to work on the product business and I want to be able to make YouTube videos when I want to and because it's fun and because I do genuinely enjoy it. But it's, oh my God, I can't, I, I like genuinely cannot wait. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. 